Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Okay, welcome back, my friend. You ready for today's episode? I'm ready for today. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be lit, we'll say. (laughs) Uh, You'll get my pun in a moment. but. Today, we are talking with Nicole, who is an arson investigator. Oh, right. So like backdraft. Yes. yes. Love it. Okay. We're going to talk all things smoke, fire, all of that stuff, how they can tell where fires originated, how they spread, if there's accelerants, all of that good stuff. Oh, I love that. Right. I think it will be a very fun episode with, again, it's one of those jobs I think is sounds fairly straightforward, but I think when we get into it, it's going to be very complex. Okay. So I think it'll be cool. Nice. So we'll have Nicole come talk, you know, all things fire. I'm kind of feeling like I want a s'mores right now. Don't know why. Fire. Campfire. That's what I think of. So, you know, maybe (laughs) s'mores for dessert today. I don't know. Perfect. Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's bring her on. Let's get going. I'm excited about today. Okay. Awesome. Okay, great. Let me grab her. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your morning to join us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Well, let's, yeah, let's jump into it. Um, Let's go. Here we go. So you are an arson investigator. What is that? Well, a fire investigator is somebody who goes out and conducts investigations at scenes where there's been a fire. And our job is first to determine where the fire starts. So that's origin determination. And then Mm -hmm. we determine what caused the fire. So part of determining the cause of the fire is to figure out what was the heat source and what was the first fuel ignited and how did those things come together to cause a fire. Okay. And when you're in that role, are you part of the fire department? Is your training kind of what firefighters go through or how does that kind of connect? Well, I think it it depends on the fire investigator, but in my case, I was a firefighter first. I came up through the fire service. I served 10 years as a line firefighter before I promoted 
into the fire investigations unit. Amazing. Um, now it's because you said it kind of depends on the firefighter. So is there another entryway into this occupation? Well, since I've come into the fire investigations world, there have been new education programs that have been developed at universities like Eastern Kentucky University and Oklahoma State University, where they have programs for people who are entering college to go through fire investigation school. In some cases, fire investigators are getting an education and then rather than being in the fire service and coming up through that line, they get their education and then they're hired sometimes by like private firms that do forensics work. Okay. So I guess this is a clarifying question. So maybe a fire department doesn't necessarily have somebody on staff that's a fire investigator. So then they would hire an outside firm? Not usually. Usually the outside firms typically do work on what we refer to as the private side, the okay. public side being the side of fire investigation where we work with the firefighters. We go out immediately after the fire and conduct an initial investigation into the cause and origin. And that's the side that also pursues arson. The private mm -hmm. side focuses more on doing investigations on behalf of insurance companies, law firms, product manufacturers, that kind of thing. Yeah, I burned my house down trying to get insurance money. You may come initially when the fire department's called, but my homeowner's insurance may be like, we want to hire an outside party because we feel like this is suspicious. Exactly. Okay. Tell us how you begin an investigation. You get on scene. What does that look like? Where do you start? What are you looking for? Okay. So once I arrive on scene, the first things that I do is just try to establish in general what's going on. Have there been any rescues? Were there any injuries or fatalities? How big was this fire? So that dictates what path I'm going to take as far as my investigation goes. If I have somebody who's been injured at the scene, my priority is going to be to talk to that person as quickly as possible before they're transported to the hospital. That allows me to get some firsthand information about the fire before going in and conducting the scene investigation. And in large part, this is because we only have one investigator, at least in my area, we only have one investigator who's working on these scenes in most cases. After doing that initial assessment and determining whether I'm going to start with interviews or if I'm going to start with a scene exam, then I start taking photographs. So I go around the scene, the exterior of the building, and I take photographs and I look at the damage on the outside of the structure. And I also look at the scene and see if there's anything in the yard that might explain any of the events that have happened throughout the course of the fire. Obviously, if I see something like a gas can tossed on its side in the yard, that's going to be something that I'm going to pay attention to. And once I go around the outside of the structure, oftentimes the damage on the outside of the structure gives me a little bit more narrowed focus on where the fire might be in the house. If we have a severe amount of damage on the backside of the structure, for instance, that may tell me that the fire originated in or near the backside of the house. And so that's going to be an area of concern for me. Part of my reason for doing that is so that I can control in some way the destruction that's occurring through the fire suppression and overhaul efforts. So fire suppression being fighting the fire 
and overhaul being the part where the firefighters go in and they search for hidden fire. And in that phase of the end of the firefighting efforts, they're doing a lot of damage to a fire scene. If you can imagine, a fire scene is probably one of the worst investigation scenes you can investigate as far as scene preservation goes, because you have a lot of water that's been sprayed all over your scene. You have fire that's been destroying evidence as it progressed. And then you have a whole bunch of guys with probably roughly size 12 boots that have been tromping around all through your scene while they're doing their work. So there's a lot of damage. And so we have to try to control that damage as fast as we can. So once I say, okay, the backside of the house looks like the place where I need these guys out. Then I talk to command. I say, okay, let's try to limit our overhaul and preserve the backside of the structure. And then I can go inside. I start doing my investigation inside. And I'm looking from room to room to see if the damage that I'm seeing in the various rooms is related to fire spread or if it's where the fire began. What and is fire spread? Just just for just to interrupt you there for a clarification. Oh, sure. The fire spread is just basically where the fire has moved from its original ignition point or its okay. ignition location. So okay. did the fire spread into the living room from the kitchen? Or did the fire start in the living room and then spread to the kitchen? And how can you tell the difference? Well, we use fire patterns. So when the fire moves through a structure, it makes a mark on the structure by burning it or depositing soot, causing damage. So when the fire moves from one area to another, it causes varying degrees of damage. And if you can imagine when fire grows inside a structure, it fills up the structure with smoke and heat, similar Mm -hmm. to the way you would fill a glass of water with water, except it's upside down. So the fire starts generally down low And then it pours into the structure and fills it from the top down. So we end up seeing what we call lines of demarcation where the heat layer has deposited and where the smoke layer has deposited in various Mm -hmm. rooms. As you get closer to the area of origin, you start to see those patterns come down to the point where the fire started. Like down towards the ground. I'm trying to picture this. If it was started on the ground, you would see... The markings getting closer to the floor. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. And of course, it's not always the case that the fire starts sure. on the ground. And it's not always the case that the fire starts in one place either. That's in general kind of how we can differentiate between fire movement to an area and fire origin in an area. Let's say there was a fire started in a back bedroom and a kitchen. Would those markings, are you able to tell which fire was started first? Um, There's a possibility that we might be able to determine that, but there's a lot of factors that come into play there. It depends on the amount of time between one ignition and the next. It may depend on what fuels were in that area and what ventilation was in in those areas also. The fuels that are burning in a certain area can cause the fire to grow more rapidly or burn more intensely. So that can have an impact on things. So if a person for instance, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, lit a pile of paper or something in yeah. one room, but there wasn't anything for the fire to spread to. You might have a very small amount of burning in that room, but if they lit a pile of paper on a uh, overstuffed chair in another room, then you would have a substantial amount of damage in that room 
versus the other room. So it, you really have to weigh the circumstances Got of it. the fire before you can really make that kind of a determination. So sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Now, how can you tell what accelerant was used? Well, we can't really tell what accelerant was used by our initial observations on the scene. We have okay. some tools that we can use to determine if we have ignitable liquids present. And one of those is our accelerant detection canine team. So oh, wow. Have, yeah, it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So we actually have in the city of Portland, we have a canine and her name is Kiki and her handler is Jason. And they come out to the scene and they can, we do what's called just running the dog, run the dog on the scene. And he will come out and he'll have Kiki sniff around through the structure. And she is trained to detect ignitable liquids. Wow. She goes around and then she will alert in areas where she'll signal to her handler that she detects something there. And then when she detects something, that's the only time she gets food. And so her, her food schedule every day is dependent on her detecting. So oh, he has wow. to train with her every day. That's the only way she gets to eat. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So she will detect in different places and the handler will put a little indicator on the ground or in the location where she detects. And then we know that that's a good place for us to collect a sample that we'll put into a special can. And then we'll send it to the lab for testing. So obviously Kiki can't tell us what kind of ignitable liquid was there. We don't know if she detected gasoline or if she detected, you know, some kind of stain on the floor. So we have to send that to the lab and have them test it. And then the lab can give us uh, a good idea of what kind of ignitable liquid was in that area. And then as investigators, we have to determine if that ignitable liquid in that area makes sense for that area. So if we, if they found gasoline and we had pulled the sample from the living room, that's probably not a place where we should see gasoline, but we collected the sample from the garage. Maybe that's okay that we found gasoline there because people work on things in their garages where gasoline might spill on the floor. She can detect any sort of flammable stuff or anything like that. But what happens if there's nothing? She just doesn't go to a spot and she just kind of roams around. She never focuses on something. Right. Basically. So different dogs alert differently with Kiki. She she'll sit when she is alerting or she'll point her nose. She'll keep pointing her nose back at the location where she has picked up the scent. And that indicates to our handler, Jason, that she's alerting in that area. So if she's not detecting anything, she doesn't do alerts. And so you might think that the dog would then, you know, alert all the time because she wants to get fed, but they actually have ways that they train that behavior out of the dogs so that they only get fed when they're actually given a legitimate alert. That's really neat. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. It's it's great to, to have her in the office and She's kind of a like a unit mascot for us in the office. She's pretty popular. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's neat. When you go to a scene, you can determine whether it was man-made to create the fire or just an accident, like there's a stove or a grease fire or just a plug at Christmas time goes off? Like you can initially figure that out right on the scene or does that still take a while? Uh, Well, sometimes we can figure that out on the scene. If all the evidence is pointing to a particular type of cause, like say an electrical outlet, we can see the damage right in that outlet that there was 
you know, a, a problem in the outlet that caused a bunch of excess heating or arcing, we can sometimes see that damage right there. And then we can make that determination on scene. But sometimes it, it requires a lot more in-depth investigation. If you can imagine the varying degrees of fire that you've seen in your life, some fires being very small and some fires being gigantic, those bigger fires can obviously end up leading to much more prolonged investigations. Yeah. When you just said that, I was thinking of Canada and all those forest fires right now. With a fire that big, how can you determine what initially caused the original fire? Does that take months and months to figure that out? Well, I guess if there's a good thing with fire, I guess from the perspective of a fire investigator, the good thing about fire is that it usually starts out very small. And so one of the first things we can do is eliminate a very big portion of the fire just by finding out from the first people who saw it, how big it was when it first started. So then we can take thousands of acres worth of fire damage and say, okay, it's not there. It has to be over here because this is where they saw it first. It didn't get to there until it spread there. We can really narrow down the scene with that kind of information. We, it, we have to use a certain criteria when we determine the origin of a fire. And one of those things, one of those really important things is witness information. So witness information can tell us that, but then we can also use fire patterns and there are certain types of fire patterns that are used in the wildland investigations world also, but in structural investigation, we use fire patterns as well. And we just narrow that down. And basically we just keep narrowing it down through our knowledge of fire patterns, the witness information and our knowledge of fire behavior to say, okay, in order for this damage to occur the way that we're seeing it right now, the fire had to come from over here, not over here. And so yeah. we can cross off that next area. And we just keep narrowing that down until we're in a small enough area that we can we can focus on ignition sources only in that area. And then we do a very careful examination of that area until we find sources of ignition. And then each one of those sources of ignition gets evaluated. Interesting. It, and this might be a really stupid question, but when you're saying fire patterns, is every fire pretty much is fire always the same? Obviously it's in a different structure or forest or wherever it's going to be, but is the patterns like say a house fire, are they usually always kind of the same patterns? Cause fire never really changes. Well, every scene is going to be different because every scene you're going to have different fuels. You might have different ventilation conditions. You might have a lot of different circumstances that can change how fire develops and spreads through a particular area. But Fire does act under the laws of physics and chemistry and fluid dynamics. So fire does behave in a particular way amongst certain conditions. So we can use that information to help narrow down where the fire starts. And there is some consistency in how fire develops. Fire starts in one location, it develops a plume, and in a structure, it's going to act a lot differently than it does outdoors. But inside a structure, when the fire develops the plume, that's like the growth of the fire upward toward the ceiling. It grows up and it hits the ceiling and then it starts to spread out and then it starts to bank down. And then that heat layer up at the top starts to develop enough heat intensity that it starts radiating the heat down and it starts igniting the fuels down below. That consistency of fire development in a room can help us interpret the things that we're seeing 
when we're looking at fire patterns. So the answer to your question, I guess, would be yes and no. So yeah. no, not every fire is the same, but yes, fire does act under certain laws of physics and chemistry. And so we are able to see trends in how the fire would have developed in a certain scenario. And you can tell that by, so the, the fire's out and now you have the burned looking room and you can tell by how black certain parts are and then how it kind of shifts grayish black. Like how do you determine all of that stuff on a scene? Yeah. So we look at things, well, like what you're referring to as discoloration possibly, or what we might refer to as calcination. Calcination is something that we see in drywall or sheetrock. Sheetrock is made up of a, a significant portion of moisture. That's what makes sheetrock do its job in protecting rooms and keeping fire isolated to a room. So in order for the sheetrock to break down, the moisture has to be drawn out of it. And so it causes the sheetrock to basically start to dry out. We see varying degrees of damage to the sheetrock. So initially, we might just see some black soot deposits. And then maybe we'll start seeing some areas where the black soot deposits have actually burned away. Or maybe they're just kind of gray or white. And we see those variations in color and it forms a pattern when you look at it all together. And so we can say, okay, this area has a lot more damage. Once the sheetrock gets hot enough or has been exposed to heat for long enough, then it will break down to the point where it will just start to crumble and fall off of the wall. And so those kind of things can really uh, help us. But we also look at things like melting. Uh, when something is exposed to heat on one side, imagine like a, a plastic soda bottle or something. Yeah. If it doesn't have any liquid in it and you put a fire next to it, it's going to get hot on one side and that plastic is going to start breaking down and collapsing because plastic melts when it gets exposed to heat. At least this kind of plastic does. And so then the bottle will start tipping towards the fire. And that is an indicator to us when we see that kind of melting or that'll also happen sometimes with metal it will melt on the side closest to the fire and start pointing in the direction where the fire was coming from and so we can use things like that there's a number of different fire effects that we can look at to help us determine which direction a fire was coming from or which area there was the most heat so each one of those things in and of itself is an answer to the overall question of what caused the fire but each one of those things put together and analyzed can tell us where the fire started and that helps narrow us down. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I had that happen to my shoe at a campfire time. It was (laughs) (laughs) when you were saying that I was like, Oh my God, that's like my UGG. The rubber was, I didn't realize it was melting because I had it propped up and it obviously wasn't in the fire, but it was close enough to, you know, get some um, meltage. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I use campfires very often when I'm explaining how fire works to people. When you have somebody that say, because I'm just like thinking of that movie backdraft in my head for some reason this whole time. If you have someone that's, I guess like a, what would you even call that? Like a arsonist, like a arsonist? Is that what it's called? I don't even know what it's called. Okay. Okay. And how do you link that to a person? 
So that's where the fire investigation starts becoming a criminal investigation. Once we've determined that the fire was intentionally set or incendiary, that's the word that we use in fire investigation, was caused by a person that shouldn't have caused that fire there. Then we start doing a criminal investigation. So we're talking to witnesses about who was last seen in the area, who who belonged there and, and who didn't maybe. We look at video surveillance. We may have, once we establish a suspect, sometimes we'll even use our dog to help us. If we think that the person used ignitable liquids to cause the fire, we might put the uh, suspect in a lineup of a number of other people that are on the scene, for instance. Okay. And the dog will run and sniff next to everybody. And the dog will detect even the tiniest drop of ignitable liquid that might have splashed onto a person's shoes or pants. And the dog will alert on the person that has flammable liquids on their clothing, for instance, or on their shoes. That's so, so that crazy. can be helpful for us too. But we do a police investigation basically when we're transitioning from that initial forensic investigation to determine what the cause of the fire was to now we have a criminal investigation because someone has committed a crime of arson and we need to conduct that investigation next. And that takes a long time to kind of get, narrow that down, or it could be fast depending on if they're there and the dog sniffs them. Well, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, there's all kinds of different circumstances. Sometimes it takes years to determine who started a fire or it may be a cold case for a very long time. And then other times, you know, we say, Hey, look, we know you did this and they just, yeah, I did it because I was trying to whatever. And, you know, and they just, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why people do that. It's just so weird to me that start the fires. I love a fire (laughs) in my house. You know, I like looking at a fire in my fireplace, but yeah, I never understood when you hear about people that set fires. It always blows my mind. It it's weird. Cause then I always think about the forest ones with the animals that kills me. I feel so bad for the animals. That one. I hate that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's, Fire can be a very emotional thing for a lot of people that are involved or exposed to it in some way. You don't have to actually be the victim of the fire and that you lived in the same house, but just been a part of the community. And it's a very impactful event. That's why we take it so seriously in the arson unit. Yeah. One of my clients, um, because in one particular fire, I believe it was like 2007 or 2008. And there was about 15 houses that burnt down and her house actually burnt down. And she still talks about it. She rebuilt her house, obviously, but she's like, it's not the same. I just miss my house. She misses all of her stuff and pictures and, you know, everything that is within your home that gets destroyed. Absolutely. It's so destructive. After your investigation, and the structure is there. Who cleans that up? The the homeowners or insurance? Uh, well, if the person has insurance, which we always hope they do, oh, the no. insurance company can oftentimes help them get back to some level of normalcy in their lives again. They may put them up in a hotel for a while while construction is done or repair of their home is done. But in some cases, people lose everything. You don't have insurance. What happens? You just lose that? gone? Yeah, pretty much. That's what happens. I mean, sometimes people will put together like a GoFundMe or something and try to get money from the community to help them rebuild their lives or the Red Cross may help them with temporary lodging, place to stay. But 
in a lot of those cases where people are uninsured and they don't have the financial means to start over again, they just lose everything. They're starting from square one and hopefully they have family or somebody that they can turn to to help them while they're in that state. But it's not unusual for us to come across people who have no insurance and just lose absolutely everything. That's so sad. That's awful. And that is it devastating. Is. Yeah, even absolutely. Just, even if you have insurance, it's devastating. Having no insurance is life-changing. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then there's, obviously there's the life element there too. I mean, yeah, you know, if they lose a family member or a friend or, you know, in some cases, some people are severely injured by the fire. All of those things can be a part of the overall impact of a fire. Oh yeah. Cause even when those big fires were coming through, it was coming into kind of the town where I live, which is unusual. And it was the embers or something that was flying and getting into some people's attics. And so parts of the city that never had had fires before were now on fire. And then the streets, I remember, cause I was at work and I was trying to get to my parents' house, which normally would be five minutes, barely to get to their house. It took me three hours because there's not that many roads and people were freaking out because they were trying to get home to their pets. And that part killed me too, yeah. is the animals. I love animals. Well, we all do. I think animals have a way of touching our soul. And right? unlike anything else. Yes. I, I did hear some stories that happened during the Paradise Fire where, you know, the total devastation where the fires burned through the entire town of Paradise. And some people would go home and they would find that their house was unburned. Really? And they would be so relieved initially that their house was not burned. But then they struggled because the insurance carriers obviously wouldn't, they wouldn't pay to rebuild their house because their house wasn't burned down. But at the same time, the entire infrastructure around their home was gone. Now they have no schools to send their kids to. They have no stores to go shopping. They have no utilities because it's all burned up. They have no roads that are in good repair to travel around. So the entire infrastructure around them was gone. They just had a house standing there with no services. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, the impact of fire goes far beyond what we might initially think. Obviously, we all see the damage that fire does, but sometimes that damage goes even beyond what we can imagine on first impression. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
technical if Nikki's house did burn down and let's say it was arson and it completely demolished would you still be able to tell where she initially started the fire if it's a pile of rubble well that definitely presents a big challenge for fire investigators when we have what we call those fires black holes So basically you arrive to the scene and there's been the fire suppression effort either didn't happen because some places are just too far away from fire services. The fire department doesn't or can't respond or the fire moved so quickly that the fire totally destroyed the structure. Those are very challenging fires for us because once we have no walls, it's very difficult for us to see origin patterns. We don't Mm -hmm. see the patterns on the walls that help us identify area of origin. In those kind of fires, we rely a lot on witness statements. So early information about where the fire may have originated, that may help us narrow down a part of the structure to start doing our examination. But most definitely, it's far more challenging to do a fire investigation on those total complete burns like that than in structures where we still have walls and ceilings standing and furniture that all can point us in certain directions. To say that all hope is lost on those, sometimes we are able to make determinations on those. Now, you may have already answered this kind of, but I'm not going to do this. I'm not a sneaky arson person, but I guess I'm trying (laughs) to understand how granular these investigations can get and what exactly you can tell. But if I was going to try to burn my house down for insurance money and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this around Christmas time and I'm going to light my Christmas tree on fire, but I'm going to say that I left the Christmas lights on. Would you be able to tell the difference in either the the pattern or I'm assuming the smoke becomes a different color and leaves a different kind of residue on walls? Would you be able to tell it wasn't electrical, even though it probably Um, started burning in with the electrical Christmas lights at some point? Well, one thing that we can do is we can evaluate the, the conductors for the Christmas lights. We can actually collect all of the wire that's remaining from that, and we can analyze that to see if there's any evidence of an arcing event on that wiring. Wow. So that can help us determine whether or not you're being truthful about the fire being caused by your Christmas lights. So we can get information about where you purchased those and get information about how those work. And when that kind of thing happens where you have a huge amount of loss caused by somebody's product, those companies will have a big interest in determining whether their product actually caused that fire or not. So they'll send engineers, they'll send specialists that specialize in how that product is constructed and everything. And they can tell us a lot about when fuses would have worked. And then if we don't see any arcing on that line, there may that may be an indication that, that the fire affected caused the breaker to trip before the fire could have even been caused by the electrical. So there's things that we can definitely look at in those cases. And then sometimes the interviewing process in the way that we can conduct an interview with somebody and explain to them, hey, things just aren't adding up. Your story does not add up. You know, this is why. And sometimes doing that, we can explain to somebody, hey, you just, you need to be truthful with us about this what we're seeing isn't consistent with what you're saying and you're not going to get the the payout 
on your insurance mm-hmm. claim that you think you will. And then also when you're dealing with fraud in that way with the insurance companies, you're not only dealing with the fraud being criminal in itself. And we may not have enough evidence to say you're going to go to jail for fraud because we may not be able to prove that. On In the civil side of things, in civil court, the threshold is different. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt anymore. Now it's a preponderance of the evidence. Now we only have to prove 51% that you're responsible for that fire. And so now at that level, that can free the insurance companies up a little bit and they may not pay your claim because maybe we have enough evidence to say, yeah, there's no indication that this was an electrically caused fire. And the most probable cause of this fire was the insured who ignited their Christmas tree deliberately. But we may have enough evidence to say that you did that at, say, maybe 70%, but not enough to get you put in prison for it. That's incredible. I had no idea that there were so many, um, I guess, little tricks up your guys' sleeves to be able to look into all (laughs) these different different avenues. I just kind of assumed things burned down, it burned down, and it's going to be really hard to tell where and what caused it. Well, I think that's an advantage that we have is that a lot of people assume that the damage that they caused by fire is going to destroy any evidence of their fault for doing it or their responsibility for doing it. That's not always the case. And that's why people like myself and other fire investigators out there are out there doing what we do, because we can, we can oftentimes tell what caused the fire and we can oftentimes determine who's responsible. That's so crazy. That's neat. Cause yeah, I would have been on the side of thinking it's burned, you know, it's gone. It's, it goes away. Yeah. So, it's yeah. definitely a challenging type of investigation, you know, but 100%. Percent. Time, I think it's that challenge that makes it so fun for a lot of us to do what we do. How long are you on a scene for? Oh gosh, that varies completely. I mean, I can be on the scene for super short period of time. If I've got very localized damage immediately around a source of ignition then it's pretty obvious and I don't need to be there for very long, you know, less than an hour. But then there's times where we're there for weeks. We're out there every day going out and digging and we keep security on the scene while we go home and get rest. And uh, we come back out the next day and we continue and we just keep going until we've exhausted all the leads or we find a cause. Mari, you have a question? No, I'm just soaking this in. It's so crazy. I, I'm still baffled by her ability to things <laughs> out. It's really, it's impressive. I love that the dogs it's, are in on it too. And That's my favorite part. <laughs> and all I keep thinking about is episodes with like autopsies and things like that. It's like, oh, the body always tells you there's a way for it to tell its story. And it that applies to fire. Like the fire's going to tell you the story. The trail is there. The bones, if you will, are there. And I just never would have anticipated that. It just, I would have thought, okay, it's on fire. It's on fire. It's done and gone. And maybe I can tell if there was gasoline here, but how detailed you can get is really amazing. Yeah. It's been a, a very fun career. I'm getting close to the end of my career with Portland Fire now, but I plan on continuing my career in the private sector because I really do enjoy what I do. And the puzzle of it is is great. And I'll tell you, one of the highlights of my job is when I go out and I conduct my investigation and I'm like, okay, this is where this fire started and this was the cause of the fire. And then some evidence comes in like video evidence. And I'm like, oh, cool, video evidence. Now I can see if I was right you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in a way that is definitive. I see in that video that that's where it started and that's how it started. And it's like, oh, that's just so 
it's it's such a great feeling to to get that feedback. Fire investigation is one of those fields where sometimes you don't get the feedback to know for certain we work in varying levels of certainty in our job, but to get that certainty is pretty awesome. Nikki, I, I don't want us to go over, Nicole, we have a terrible habit of keeping people on the phone for forever. So <laughs> I just noticed we're at about 45 minutes. Um, so why don't we jump over to a few fun questions? That way we can end on time and we don't keep Nicole on the line for forever. But Nikki, why don't you kick us off with your first question? Okay. I always like to ask this one. What is one of your hobbies? One of my hobbies? Well, I love to work in my garden, actually. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's, I love that's that. it's a great time for me to just disconnect from what I do for a living and to just get out there and make things grow. And I really enjoy that. And I love spending time with my family, my son, especially. Yeah, I'd love to travel. Nice. So I know it sounds pretty generic. Everybody does no. those things, but it's the things I love the most. Yeah. I thought you were going to say puzzles. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe, maybe when I get another decade under my belt, that'll be, that'll be what I'm doing. But for now, I, I need to get outside a little more. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what do you grow in the garden? Do you have vegetables or spices or is it a flower garden? Oh, you know what? I grow everything out there. So I grow a bunch of wildflowers to bring in the bees to help pollinate all of my vegetables that I grow out there. And then I grow flowers um, uh, inside the garden. I grow spices or uh, a bunch of different herbs, all kinds of stuff out there. Nice. Okay. Mine is if they were going to make a movie about you and your career, who would you like to play you? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea. Oh man, who would play me? Um, it would have to be somebody that's kind of intense. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like a Jodie Foster type or something. Oh, I love her. I could see her doing arson investigation. That would be oh, a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I loved her in the silence of the lambs. So yeah, she makes a great detective. Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, she'd be good. I mean, she would definitely shake me down about my Christmas tree story. So <laughs> for sure. That's funny. I always like to ask people this one too. What is something that you collect? Let's see. What do I have a collection of? I have quite a bit of fire memorabilia because I don't know when you're a firefighter, everybody gives you fire memorabilia. So I have a lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Um, gosh, I have a number of statues that are from mythology. I love mythology. It's kind of one of my favorite things to study when I have free time. That's cool. Uh, So I have a a whole collection of mythology uh, related statues. That's mainly from like Greek and Roman mythology. Yeah. Like Zeus and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think it, it all stemmed, my, my middle name is Minerva. And so I think it all stemmed from that. And my, I had an uncle when I was young that's since passed. And he told me that my middle name was the goddess of wisdom. In oh, Rome. I love and I was it. like, wow. And so oh. then I, I just became so fascinated with mythology after that. It was, like, yeah. oh, was so cool. My grandpa was Greek. And so I love all the Greek mythology stuff. I think it's really interesting. I love all of yeah. it. Yeah, it's such great stories. So it's so know. fascinating how they, 
Have they came up with answers related to the gods for all of life's difficult questions? Yes, I, I know. I find that to be very fascinating too. I like that collection. That's a good one. Well, Nicole, that's it. You did it. You survived us. Thank you for <laughs> oh, fielding all of our curious questions. We really appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I love having the opportunity to talk about what I do to people who have that real curiosity about it. I loved it. It's really interesting. And I could probably ask you 10,000 more questions, but I'll hold off. <laughs> so we'll hold me back two. anytime. Two, yeah, maybe. we'll hold yeah. off till next time, part two. <laughs> All right, that sounds awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for taking the time. It was such a pleasure. And I know that I'm gonna be bothering you for more questions. I can just feel it already, so. All right, awesome, um, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, enjoy <laughs> the rest of your afternoon. And we'll talk soon. All right, take care now. Okay, Bye. All right, Bye. thank you, Bye. Okay, so what did you think? Arson investigator in your future? It's really neat. I, it's very complicated and I don't like no conclusions. So if I can't figure it out, I'm going to go crazy. So probably not, but I loved it. Yes. I, again, this is one that same, same thing. I feel like, you know, you're working the mental gymnastics, trying to figure out what happened over and over and over. And I'm not very good at separating. So I feel it would be a little consuming for my personality. But it is incredible. And it's incredible how detailed they can get. I really just thought oh, it burned down. Sorry. Sorry for your loss. Like, <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I really did too. Obviously, I didn't know it was so intricate and that you can figure all that out to the it, ignition. Is that the right word that she said? Yeah, sure. There you go. The yeah. origin point. Origin or... point. Yeah. I yeah, thought it was no. really neat because I thought it would be like you, like, oops, sorry, it burnt down. Uh-huh. Moving on. Which I mean, I guess is why we would be dumb criminals, which is probably <laughs> 98% of criminals is they're just dumb, right? It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to burn this down and it's going to be like, oh, sorry, my house burned down. I'll take insurance my insurance claim. check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody that was pondering that, probably not the best avenue because no. newsflash, they can figure it out. And I love that little pups are involved again. It's my favorite I mean, part too. You do love your canine dogs. So I do. They're part of the squad. They really are. I love Maybe it. Maybe that's what, uh, you know, Mabel needs some training in. She could be a, a fire investigator pup. <laughs> Maybe. She's kind of all over the place and bounces like a bunny everywhere. So probably not. She's, she's not as focused. <laughs> maybe she'd get focused. I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover from what it seems like. So maybe her rabbit energy would be put to good use because she's got a lot of ground to cover. No, but I'll tell you, if she goes to a lineup and there's the criminal there, she'll get pat by him no matter what. So it doesn't, she's going to suck at it. <laughs> oh. She won't go up to anybody and let them love on her. And she's... She's going to, no, she wouldn't, she couldn't do it. She would just befriend the criminal. Everyone. So yeah, we can't, oh, but no, Mabel. I loved it. It was cool. Yeah, it was great. It was a yeah. great one to round us out for the month of June. So just a reminder, Nikki and I are beginning our summer recording schedule, if you will, or release schedule. So just one episode for July, one episode for August, unless you are a Patreon member, then you do still get access to a monthly bonus episode. So you'll get two episodes, July, two in August, and then starting back up in September, we'll be going to our weekly releases. So 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging in and we'll see you next month. Okay. Awesome. All right. Until then. Until okay. until July. Okay. See you in July. Okay. Sounds <laughs> okay. good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.